0: Cape Talk. Cape Talk. A world view from London with Adam Gilchrist. 14 minutes to eight o'clock. Time now for a world view with Adam Gilchrist. Good morning, Adam. Sir, hope you've been well. Good
1: morning, Lester. Yeah, very well, thank you. How
0: are you? Very good, thank you. Survived a cabinet reshuffle last night, but I'm sure uh, you don't have much thoughts on that. You have, though, have thoughts on (laughs) uh, other pressing global and geopolitical news in Iran. Um, the judiciary there says women will be punished for violating strict Islamic dress code and this despite mass freedom of choice mm. protests over the last few months in their country.
1: Didn't much of the world hope that those protests would really make a difference, would maybe just change things a little bit for the better, a little bit more liberty, maybe women's rights, for instance. Uh, all this sparked by the death of Masa Amini last September. Remember, she was arrested for breaking Islamic dress code essentially for not wearing her hijab properly it wasn't even that she didn't have it with her it's just that she was wearing it in a jaunty fashion shall we say anyway she got arrested and died in police custody and ever since then there has been this huge debate in Iran and outside uh, about the wearing uh, of the compulsory wearing of certain kinds of uniform and we think about in our own societies there are uniforms that are compulsory think about your police officers. Most people don't seem to have a problem with them. But in this instance, this uniform does feel imposed. And as you say, the head of the judiciary, Golam Hussein Husseini Ejay, has said that women who are non-compliant, who do not wear the correct dress in the code of Islam that Iran has adopted, they will be punished. And by that, we assume, well, is that arrested, fined? Surely not just killed in police custody but it is a doubling down of that policy it's not the liberty that one or two of us certainly had hoped for
0: and then it, it may be decades late but worker compensation mm-hmm. for koreans used as slave labor by japan you one tends to forget that japan was a colonial and imperial uh, yeah. power Korea, Manchuria, uh, pre-World uh, War II. Also, I, 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 one forgets yeah. that World War II starts in different times for depending where you are in the world. In terms of a Western perspective, World War II starts in uh, 1939. For uh, China, that date is years before 1939. But worker compensation for Koreans um, used as slave labor by Japan.
1: You're right. Some of this goes back to 1910, I think is the point at which, uh, Japan certainly moves into Korea. They're probably, as you say, in Manchuria and China about the same time. And so, yeah, their, their war began earlier. Effectively, they were, uh, an army of occupation and they forced Koreans in this case, uh, we're talking 150,000 at least to work in their factories, on farms, producing specifically for Japan and in some cases in organized military brothels. 80 to 120 odd years later, of course, most are dead. Um, the survivors are now going to get something. But they are not going to get compensation as they have been fighting for from Japan itself. They're going to get compensation from South Korea. South Korea has sort of headed off this diplomatic row at the pass after, as you say, seven, eight decades or so. It's been a festering wound, frankly. Uh, and the compensation we're talking is sizable, but I believe I was trying to do a double check on this and it's very difficult, but I believe only three Unknown to the authorities. Three people are known to the authorities. There may well be many more. So that's three people who might be getting a couple of million each, a couple of million dollars or equivalent each. And there are still many groups who weren't alive then, but who have been campaigning on their behalf, who uh, say, hang on, let's have the direct compensation and the apology from Japan. And that apology thing—I know it has played out with all sorts of other colonial forces, the UK included. Uh, It doesn't always seem very forthcoming, does Mm. it?
0: And then finally, the Toblerone logo change—it's all about what is Swiss and what is not.
1: Yes, the Toblerone—it's always the thing that your your mum or your dad or your uncle buy you at the airport, isn't it? When they (laughs) they haven't got anything else to bring back to you after they've been on a a
0: trip.
1: They bring in one of those. You think, oh, I'm not sure if I like it, but okay, I'll give it a go. And then over the years, you begin to like it because it becomes a symbol of your parent or your uncle or whoever coming home. And in this case, uh, Toblerone has had a look at itself and has decided that they will save money uh, and they're going to move production out of Switzerland at, to Slovakia, at which point they now fall foul of Swiss law, which says at the end of the little Toblerone package... There is a picture of the Matterhorn, as in the mountain peak. It's at the end and on the ends. And you can't have that. Under Swiss law, you cannot have a national symbol of Swissness uh, on packaging of a product that's not made in Switzerland. So the moment it goes to Slovakia, we'll all be able to tell. I'm sure the taste will still be fine or still be what you remember anyway. Um, But the Matterhorn will have to disappear. And I looked at, the, I thought, I don't know too many other countries who have that. You know, I could start marketing English shortbread with a picture of Table Mountain on it. And I'm not sure there's a great deal you could do. You could do the same. You could, you could mark, I, mean, I believe there is a Japanese gin with the Tower of London on it. We're not as protective. Good on Switzerland to some extent. Although marketing your national symbols, eh, not sure.
0: There used to be a company, uh, a, a pie shop. Uh, and in fact they had prime location in the, in the 90s it was called london pie company and they had a joburg store at um in johannesburg on the ground floor of the anc's headquarters so whenever there was a outside broadcast shop of latuli house the anc's headquarters there you would see london pie company and believe you <laughs> me at absolutely zero to do with London in the UK,
1: <laughs> not even the recipe. No, not I'm even sure. the recipe.
0: <laughs> but Adam Gilchrist, looking forward to chatting tomorrow. Stay well. Have a good one.
1: EWN traffic Lester, Thanks very much. There's an accident. Artery Road under the M5 bridge in Artery. Traffic signals down Victoria Road and Prince George Drive, and then Clarence Drive will be closed to traffic for slope stabilization repairs from the 7th of March, it is today, until the 23rd of March from 8 o'clock the morning until 6 o'clock in the evening and that's Monday to Friday. On a Saturday it's 8 o'clock the evening until 3 o'clock in the afternoon and for the rest of the time it will be a stop-go system in place. I'm Zane Johnson, my witness use traffic at 8 o'clock. EWN Business
0: this Eyewitness News business is brought to you by Bright Insurance. Bright is a licensed insurer and FSP. Uh, we're all feeling the pinch when it comes to the cost of living crisis in South Africa. But Consumer group uh, Goods Group, AVI, says the price of products have not yet even begun to reflect the effect of ESCOM's blackouts yet, meaning that the price, the cost of particularly consumer goods could be seeing an increase in the next quarter or so isn't that just painful like to we know that you know yet. you're dealing with inflation